Hey mama, welcome to the Happy Vibes Mama podcast. I'm Courtney, I'm a mom with two littles, obsessed with sharing my journey and experience with other moms to connect, celebrate, and grow a village that we all so desperately need. Motherhood can be lonely and changing the way you parent can be hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Of course, this podcast is all about motherhood, so we'll talk about being intentional with our time, preparing every day for the best case or not so great scenarios, and learning to trust your gut in all of the daily chaos. But that's not all. Motherhood can bring up new emotions like anxiety and even uncover things from our childhood that we don't want to pass on to our kids. So here at Happy Vibes Mama, the goal is to bring you tangible tips and tricks to build up your confidence in motherhood and provide a safe space so that we can figure this all out together. I've got your back, Mama, always, and I'm so happy you're here. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Happy Vibes Mama podcast. Welcome to the deep dive with me, Courtney, part one. I wanted to do a disclaimer before I get into this content. If you know me in real life and I'm talking to you, mom, gummy, my friends, you may not want to listen to this or nope, let me rephrase that. I want you to go into listening to this with the warning that some of the things I'm going to be talking about in these three episodes are things that I have never told anyone except for my therapist. So it's very possible you're going to hear some things that you never even knew about. So with that, as a warning to everyone, there is going to be content in these next three episodes that are not for young ears and even hard for an adult to listen to. I'm not sharing these private what have always been shameful and embarrassing details for pity or attention, but because as someone who wants to become transparent, who has gone through some really tough stuff and has come out on top, and as someone who is probably relatable to more people than we actually want to admit, I wanted to share these details. I want to be someone that I wish I had met earlier in my life, Someone who told me that it's okay, but that the feelings that I was feeling truly weren't normal, and to trust my gut until I could have found someone who heard me. It is really hard knowing that I knew that, but I didn't trust myself enough to know that, and I struggled with many of these feelings my entire life until I was 28 years old. So if you're listening and you it's too hard to listen to, go ahead and pause, go ahead and stop listening. I'm not going to be hurt. Um, But I really feel like this is important to get out for those moms that need to hear that their story isn't unheard of. And also so that you can understand where I come from in a lot of my upcoming topics um, and kind of why I think the way that I do with my anxiety and the way that I parent. And one last note is that while I am talking about super intimate things and I'm not doing too much editing here, uh, please bear with me. I'm going to try not to go on tangents. I did write out some bullet points to kind of keep me on track. But if a feeling or a memory does come up as I'm going through some of this, I am going to allow myself to feel that and go through that with freedom and expand on it in the moment 
Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's learn more about me. Okay, so as you know, my name is Courtney. I am 30 years old, so I was born in 1992, and I grew up in the state of Massachusetts in a very large city until fifth grade. So I want to give you a little bit of a background in my life in Massachusetts. So I lived there until fifth grade. I was about 10 years old when we moved. And while I was in Massachusetts, I had my entire extended family. We did yearly ski trips, yearly beach vacations. I have the fondest memories with my cousins, at my aunt's house, at my nana's house. So I had lots of aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents, great-grandparents that were alive for a good chunk of my upbringing. I have childhood friends that I've had since I was born, since kindergarten. A lot of my friends were within walking distance as we did live in a city. Um, And some things that when I look back now writing this out that I think are funny, like I walked to school in Massachusetts. I had never even been on a school bus before I moved to Pennsylvania that I can remember. I'm sure I was for like a field trip here or there, but for the most part, like I do not remember being on a school bus. Um, So my parents were divorced. They split when I was really young, like less than two years old. So I did spend my weekends and I split holidays with both my parents and sometimes my dad would come on I think it was Tuesdays he would come and get me after school and we would go out to dinner and then he'd bring me back to my mom so I lived full-time with my mom and my sister who is a half-sister but I am the only full blood between my mom and my dad And I don't look at any of my half or step siblings as anything less. So I will never call them anything other than my siblings. Um, But just for context, my sister with my stepdad, who was her father. So growing up, um, if you're at all aware of the ACE um, ratings that a lot of children and youth um, CPS workers psychologists, things of that nature will use. I have a very high ACE score. And so one of those is that my dad and my stepdad have both been in jail. Uh, They both have had suspended licenses. I used a lot of public transportation. I took the train to my Nana's house. We took the bus a lot. And some things that I've learned now that I'm older looking back is that some kids have no idea what that's like. Uh, Also, my grandmother worked three jobs around the clock to help my mom when my stepdad was in jail, and I had no idea. I also, now as an adult, have learned that my grandfather used to send money when we needed it. We never talked about money in our house. We never talked about these struggles. And truly, I didn't have any awareness of it until much later in life. And I do think that that lack of awareness is why I do hold such amazing and fond memories of my childhood living in Massachusetts but I also recognize that a lot of that also is because I've blocked out and normalized a lot of my trauma that happened during these years. So in my toddler years I don't remember much of anything. I think that's pretty normal. Um, I know that my parents moved around a lot. I lived with my grandmother at one point. I lived with my aunt for a little bit of time. But for the most part, I don't remember any of that. I remember living at a house 
in the city across from a candy store. And that was when I was like three, maybe four years old. But most of my memories truly began when I lived on Humphrey Street and we moved there. Um, I was probably about four right before starting kindergarten. So my entire elementary years. Um, This is when I also have the first awareness and remembering any sexual abuse that happened. So as I'm sure most kids do, I remember playing Truth or Dare. I also remember playing Titanic on, uh, we had a red swing in our yard. And I just remember that being also a very sexualized game that I played with friends. And kind of for context, like at this point, you know, I'm probably in second, third, fourth grade. And a lot of my friends are also doing the same things that I'm doing. So now as a parent looking back, I do wonder like how much of it is normal, you know, exploration and how much of it is truly abuse. Or were all of my friends that I had at this time also being abused, which is why it seemed so normal. So those are questions that I have daily now as a parent. Also questions that I'll probably never get answers to because this is my experience and my normal. But being 10 years old, I should not have known what a blowjob was. And I can very vividly remember not only having conversations about these things, but also acting on them. So in second grade, I gave my first blowjob and I thought it was normal. Um, I don't know how many times it happened. I only remember one distinct time. I remember who I was with. I remember where we were. And I've never had the courage as an adult to talk to this person. I probably could. Like, I, I, they're still, they're not in my life, but I still have ways to contact them. And I still deep in my very traumatized brain question, like, did this really happen? Am I making this up? And that's how a lot of my trauma goes from here on out, is that I'm constantly questioning if it really happened or if I made it up. And that's a really hard thing to overcome in trauma because part of me is like, of course I'm not making this up. I was in second grade. How would a second grader make this up? That's just the world that we live in because so many victims don't come forward and so many victims don't tell their story or report until they're 52 years old on average. And that's a lot of time to just be in your own head about what happened and not really knowing what did or didn't happen. So that's a really hard one for me to talk about. And it's really hard to process not knowing what really happened, but having such vivid memories, but never having anyone to talk to about it because nobody else knew about it or was aware of it when it happened. And now that I'm older and I want to process it, that's a really weird conversation. Like, do I just reach out to them and be like, hey, do you remember that time in second grade? Like, what? (sighs) Man, I knew this was going to be hard, but it's harder than I thought it would be. (laughs) 
Okay, so to paint some pictures of where this is, I grew up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and in the 19th century, it was the world's most important whaling port. At its economic height, New Bedford was the wealthiest city in the world per capita. And yes, I did look all of this up because no, this is not just knowledge in my head. <laughs> New Bedford attracted many freed or escaped African-American slaves, including Frederick Douglass, and the city served as the primary setting of Moby Dick. In 2020, in the last census, the population of New Bedford was 101,079 people. It is Massachusetts' ninth largest city and the largest city on the South Coast region, which is where I grew up. We have a high concentration of Portuguese Americans, which if you look at me, you may not believe that I'm Portuguese, but I promise you I'm 50% Portuguese. <laughs> And it is known for its fishing fleet and accompanying seafood industry, which generated the highest annual value of any fishing port in the United States. Now for some crime rates. So I tried to find crime rates back to when I was living there. And of course, the um, sites that I was looking at only start in 2002, which just happens to be the year that I moved away. But this will still help put some things in perspective. So the violent and property crime rate has decreased since 2011, and the FBI reported a violent crime rate of 640 per 100,000 residents, which, to compare it to the crime rates I'm going to tell you in a second, that's a 6.4 out of 1,000. And in 2003, it was a 7.21 out of 1,000. In 2004, it was a 10.32 out of 1,000. And it continued rising until they started to see that improvement in 2011. So right around the time that I was moving, the crime rates were very high. And this was for the violent crime rates. In comparison, in the town that I moved to in 2020, their census has them having 5,475 people compared to that 101,000. And the violent crime rate is a zero. And just for regular crimes, it's a one per 1,000 people. It is rated one of the safest places to live in both Pennsylvania and in the nation. Although some statistics I found did have it up to a 24% chance of a crime happening, it was still rated at 95% lower than the national average, whereas New Bedford was always higher than the national average. So in 2002, when I was in fifth grade, I moved to Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. It is a small Amish town. They, at the beginnings of Shippensburg, had furniture factories. They had engine and pump works and a lot of other industrial work. The Bystel Company, which is the oldest manufacturer of decorations and party goods in the U.S., is in Shippensburg. And a side fun fact is that my sister is actually on some of their marketing materials because they were looking for kids to model, and my stepfather used to work there, and he asked my sister to do it and not me. So that just is a nice little fun fact. Um, and it is the oldest community of the Cumberland Valley. It was named after Edward Shippen, who obtained the patent to the land from the heirs of William Penn. So like I said, it is a super small town, especially in comparison to the city that I grew up in. 
So when I moved here, I was in fifth grade, which in Chippensburg is the last grade of the elementary schools. And there are only three elementary schools in the entire district. Basically, you are best friends since kindergarten, and that really never changed. And so I always felt like an outsider. I never really made a solid group of friends. And even when I thought I did, I really didn't. I continued having ongoing inequalities with my stepdad. So like I said, with my sister being on marketing materials, that's just one instance. Um, Things like he would bring home her favorite candy or her favorite donut and he would say that they didn't have mine. Or when we would go to a playground, she always got to pick which playground we were going to, the Purple Dinosaur Park, even though I wanted to go to a different one. So a lot of inequalities and just tension there that happened between my sister and I. The first fall that we lived in Shippensburg, our house got broken into. And I actually, when I was writing notes for this episode, didn't even have that on my radar. And as I was writing things, I was like, no, that was actually a huge traumatic event that happened to me. I remember being so scared to go to sleep the day that we got home that we realized that someone had broken into our home. Uh, They stole a bunch of PlayStation games and just some things of mine, and I just remember how unsafe I felt. And now looking back, it's so crazy to me that I lived in a city that crime was rampant and, like, never felt that insecurity. And then I moved to this small farm town and immediately have that experience And I think that's probably a lot of why I never enjoyed my time in Chippensburg and I never felt truly safe there. Um, I always considered Massachusetts my home. And even to this day, like I have desires of living back there someday. I think that that break in, which like I said, I hadn't even thought about in years until I just was writing these notes, really was a big event for me. So I start school And there is this boy who is constantly chasing me at recess. And a little bit about my time in Massachusetts versus Pennsylvania. In Massachusetts, I was one of the oldest in our class. I was the fastest. I was very popular and like had a really good group of friends, some of which I still talk to today. I felt wanted and loved and valued by my classmates. Whereas when I came to Pennsylvania, I was made fun of for my accent. Like, I remember things that were said to me my first day of school or my second day of school. I can tell you the kids that were absent because then when they came back and found out they had a new kid in their class, like, they had some things to say. And so, like I said, this entire move situation, not only did it happen at a time that kids are so vulnerable because you're about to hit puberty and all these things are changing with your body. But going from a city to a small town, I think, had a lot to do with it. And just a lot of things that were happening to me led to me not ever feeling safe here. So this boy. So I had a boy that was constantly chasing me on the playground. And just a note, any of the sexual trauma that happened to me in Massachusetts, I I wasn't aware that it wasn't normal. 
and was an active participant in the idea that like I never felt forced to do it which also makes me believe that I probably had been something had happened to me even sooner and I just haven't uncovered that trauma yet but point being like I felt as though I was consenting even though I probably wasn't I don't know if that makes sense but in Pennsylvania, this boy that's chasing me on the playground, I wanted nothing to do with him. I did not want to be friends with him. I did not like him. And all he wanted to do was kiss me. And I will never forget the day that I finally told a teacher that I did not want this boy chasing me. And the principal of our elementary school, which I had a really great relationship with my principal at my elementary school in Massachusetts, the principal at my elementary school in Pennsylvania looked at me and said, well, if you just stop running and let him kiss you, then he'll stop chasing you because he won't want you anymore. And that is the turning point of where I realized that being sexualized and sexual abuse and sexual harassment and sexual assault all start to become such a large part of my upbringing that I am hypervigilant about but also completely unaware of because I think that it's normal. And so from that moment forward, I never knew how to say no to something. I never knew how to consent to something. And anything that approached me or was an opportunity for me to be or feel sexualized just happened to me and I never had control about it. So as I continued on to middle school, I had my first boyfriend who happened to be one of my best friend's brothers. And so we ran into this really weird thing where my mom wasn't sure what to do because I constantly slept at their house. And so she just continued letting me sleep at their house to be with my best friend. And I think that started a very muddy, unclear expectation of mine or understanding of what might be normal because that definitely set a precedent that continued in my future relationships. I had numerous boyfriends anywhere from a couple months to lasting years from sixth grade on, and I think I probably had a sleepover with every single one of them. Maybe not every single one, but a majority of them. So even if things weren't happening sexually between my boyfriends and I, it still started that reputation, and so that is the beginning of my reputation in my middle and high school years of being the S-L-U-T, sexually active, even if I wasn't, which just further pushed that traumatic response of mine that I had zero control over what was done to me, who it was done by, and from there on out, if I was sexually active with a partner, I dissociated. I was never present or consented. And that happened for years. 
and really feeling zero control over anything and not trusting myself. So that was a heavy one. (laughs) And if you made it this far, thank you. Like I said, I don't want anybody to listen to this and carry this with them because this is my story and I will never quiet myself for someone else's comfort, but I also don't share my story with the purpose of making anyone uncomfortable. I share it because there is someone listening right now that just felt relief and they just felt heard and seen and they just felt like what happened to me wasn't supposed to happen and it wasn't what I wanted. I wasn't in control of it, but it happened and I have to learn how to be okay with that. I have to learn how to not bury it because when you bury it, it just gets worse. And that, I believe, is why for years I was in this constant cycle of a bad reputation and being used and feeling completely out of control. But also, as you'll learn in my next episode, still being able to hold it together. And at some point, I think that it's not okay. And that if I had just not buried this for so many years, I wouldn't have normalized that this was just how people felt. And it wouldn't have taken me 28 years. So I say all of this because I don't want you to carry the burden that I carried for 28 years. But my story deserves to be told. So thank you. And uh, I'll catch you back here next week for part two. When I become aware of how my trauma is affecting me. Mommy. 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 (laughs) Well, that's my cue. (laughs) And probably yours too. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Happy Vibes Mama podcast. I hope you know how excited I am to be connecting with you on this podcast. Remember, I've got your back, always. I hope this episode hit you in your feels or got the energy flowing so that you can make it until bedtime tonight. So please, if you love this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with your friends. Because after all, every mama needs her village. So go ahead and share it on social media and tag me. And yes, go do it right now so that you don't forget. I'm so excited to be on this motherhood journey with you, mama. Chat with you soon. Bye.